Thank you for tuning in to the East Sonali Baptist Church podcast, where you will hear messages that are challenging to you in your walk with Jesus every week. We update our podcast weekly with new messages from Dr. Richard Sego. And now, Dr. Richard Sego. Well, take your Bible this morning, if you would, and turn to the very first chapter of the book of Acts, Acts chapter one. You know, as we walk with God, a large part of the relationship with the Lord is built around us obeying the commandments that God gives us. Now, not just the Ten Commandments, but all of the commandments of Scripture. And there is, I guess, that more subjective element where God impresses something on our heart that we are to do, but I think even that has its genesis in the Scripture, most often from a verse or a passage that we've been meditating upon and God generates an application to us. But one thing is for sure, God will never command us to do anything that is not consistent with His Word. Anyway, my point is this, is that we live much of our life as a disciple in response to God's commands. Now, with that being said, sometimes His commands prompt us to ask questions. Now, I'm not talking about questions generated by fear or rebellion or an unwillingness even to obey that for which the command is given. It, it could probably be defined more as a question of presumption. Based on the command given, we think we know what God is up to and what the next steps are going to be, so we presume and we ask questions. I was thinking about this week in preparation um, some, some experience out of my own life upon completing my bachelor's degree, uh, I really felt compelled, I might even say commanded, to attend seminary, to go to seminary. For me, it really was a command. God had impressed it upon my heart so much based on the study to show thyself approved. I knew I needed to have the tools to be able to rightly divide the word of truth. So I packed up my family. We moved halfway across the country to Fort Worth, Texas. And, and here was my, some of my thought processes, Okay. So I'm thinking, okay, here I am, 23 years old. I'm pursuing my theological education. I thought, well, I'll have three years to get that degree finished. And, um, and then I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I begin to ask these kind of questions. Now, now, y'all just bear with me. Now, understand, I'm 23 years old. So I'm asking these kind of questions. Lord, is it possible then that at 27 years old, uh, when I'm done with this thing, 26, 27 years old, I'm going to be pastoring my dream church? I mean, Lord, how am I going to make the choice to know where to go with all of these dozens of churches that are going to be lining up to invite me to become their pastor? So what's that dream church? Well, you know, it's got the great facilities, superb staff, the wonderful location. Everybody in the church wants church grow. I thought, if God is commanding me to go to seminary, then these are the logical next steps for my life. So it caused me to ask what I know now to be some very immature, superficial, trivial kinds of questions. Well, what actually happened? Well, I'll tell you what actually happened. God spent the next few months as we made that move breaking us down, me and my wife both, about some unresolved feelings that we had toward members of my first church. I don't think Julie nor I had truly forgiven some people that we needed to forgive. 
We struggled financially, so it propelled us towards greater and newer levels of trust that we had never experienced before. Nobody seemed to want me as their pastor, so I quickly realized that I wasn't all that I thought that I was. Oh, and I I learned this along the way too. The, The perfect church is the church God calls you to. Because that's where he wants you. Right now, I am at my perfect church, East Denali, because this is where God has planted me. But here's my, here's my point. The command prompted a question. And through it all, God taught me some tremendous lessons that I think he's still using to shape me as his disciple. We have an incident kind of like that In the next few verses of the book of Acts, I really thought as I started studying this week that verses 4, 5, 6, and 7 would just be the precursor to getting to verse 8. I mean, I'm dying to get to verse 8, right? That's that's kind of the mission mandate for the whole church. So I thought, well, we'll motor through these first few verses and then get to verse 8, but I couldn't get out of those first verses. And this is just going to be one of those great times this morning of what I think is just such practical teaching for you as the church, for you as an individual. Somebody said this book right here ought to be bound in shoe leather because it's carrying the idea that we take this book and we walk out the dictates of the Christian faith. That's what this is this morning. I mean, this is going to be some ABC, one, two, three kind of stuff that I think will help you in your journey with Jesus. We, we find in our text today a context of one that is right right before the ascension of Jesus, and he is giving his disciples a simple command that is accompanied by a promise. This occasion prompts the disciples to ask a question, and really Jesus then takes that occasion to to teach them some things through it. So let's, let's read about it together. Stand to your feet in honor of God's word. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 7, reads like this. And being assembled together with them... He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons, which the Father has put in his own authority. Father, what a great word for us this morning. What a great word for us, Lord, to just simply understand that everything is under your authority. You are supremely sovereign, Lord, and teach us as your disciples to walk through this world with a keen awareness of this great truth. Lord, we've all taken your commands and at times asked kind of presumptuous questions, Father. And Lord, you you will teach us and you will guide us through it. But Lord, I think you've got so much for us in this text this morning. Enable me and empower me to preach it. And Lord, enable and empower every hearer to not only just hear the sensory perception in their ears, but to hear it in their heart and obey it with their wills. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. And you can be seated. The outline today is really simple. It is 
the title for the message, a command and a question. That's the two points that I have. Let's take them in order. First of all, there is a command. Verse 4 begins with a command as there is really overlap here uh, from the Gospels. We have the last couple of interactions between Jesus and the disciples right before his ascension back to the right hand of the Father. Now we know that there is a command here in verse 4 because the Bible explicitly says, and I quote, He commanded them, the word commanded there, per angaleo. It it means to enjoin, charge, or order, or require. It's clear here, rather clear that Jesus is not offering suggestions. Uh, He's not giving multiple options. He is commanding them. He is requiring that they stay in Jerusalem. Of course, this is not a universal command for all followers of Christ in all generations, no more than was my command to move and take my family to seminary. This was a customized command and plan for the disciples at that time. However, that being said, we find, I think, just a plethora of different applications for our life as we look at the individual components of this command. So let's do that. First of all, I want you to notice the place that we discover. There is a specific place associated with this command. It is, the Bible says, Jerusalem. Jesus commands the disciples to not leave Jerusalem. Now, it seems like most of the time when God commands us something, it's commanding us to go, to swing into action. But on this particular occasion, Jesus is saying, no, don't go, stay here in Jerusalem. That might sound simple enough, but this was not going to be easy for the disciples. First of all, they were from Galilee. And it's quite possible upon the ascension of Jesus Christ, they have it in their hearts and intention to return back home. But that's not going to be the case. Furthermore, there was not a more hostile place on the face of the planet toward Jesus and his followers at this time than was Jerusalem. Logically, logically. Now you understand that if we only follow Jesus based on logic, we'll move into disobedience at some point. Logically, a better strategy would have seemed to be to leave Jerusalem and find some regions or some areas that were perhaps more accepting of who Jesus was and the gospel message at large. But that would not happen yet. Folks, listen to me. Sometimes God will leave you in the most unlikely places. And as a part of that, God often leaves us in some of the most difficult places. Titus chapter 1, verse 5, this is Paul's words to Titus. He says, for this reason I have left you in Crete, so so that you should set things in order, the things that are lacking. We would find out this would prove to be a very difficult assignment for Titus. As you read the whole book, you find a unique set of problems that needed attention. There would most likely be much frustration and opposition that Titus would face, but Paul left him there. Ultimately, God left him there, and he was to stay there until otherwise commanded. I served in my first church. I was in college, so it was my, you know, kind of that college church you served through. And it was um, outside of Mobile, Alabama, and um, 
after about the first year, I'm just going to be honest with you, after about the first year, I struggled even wanting to go to church at all on Sunday. Now, understand, that's really bad for the pastor to not want to go to the church that he pastors. But I'll tell you what, man, I got about a year into that thing. Now, you got to understand this so you can give me a little grace here. Julie and I got married in August of that year at 19 years old. And we went to that church, and I started pastoring that church in October. So I've not even learned how to be a good husband yet, much less a pastor. So here we are, green as gourds, out here pastoring this little church out in, you know, in the country. So a few things come up, and there's some struggles going on, and I begin to ask God to move me. And I could have logically talked myself into it. I mean, if I just went on, log on logic, it seemed like at least we didn't feel wanted, <laughs> we didn't feel loved, and the church just had some deep, deep-rooted issues and undercurrents that at 20 years old seemed like going to be impossible to overcome. But there was in, in my heart at some point, there was this, this sense of God saying, do not depart. And God left me there. So I stayed there until God gave me the green light to go, which was over three years from then. And that's when God moved me off uh, to Fort Worth. You see, sometimes, guys, it's just about having staying power. Learn it early in your journey with Jesus. How about you? Is God commanding you to stay in a place that you really don't want to be in? Is it a place of service here at our church? Now, now listen, don't stay in a place just because nobody else will do it. Conversely, though, however, don't jump ship just because that place of service gets a little bit difficult either. How about a job? Has God left you in a job? Let me just say this. You better stay in that job till God says go. How about a marriage? Let me just go ahead and say, the do not depart command for that one is life. You have to stay sometimes in some very difficult places. And it would prove very, very hostile to the disciples as they stayed in Jerusalem. But in this command, we not only discover a place, we discover a purpose. If Jesus has commanded them to stay in Jerusalem, then surely there must be a great purpose in doing so. Well, we find it just a few words later in the verse. Brace yourself because you won't like this. But he says, here's the words actually in verse 4. He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. What in heaven's name kind of purpose is that? Wait, Jesus? Are you serious? Send me marching across the desert. Deprive me of the luxuries of life. Lead me to a martyr's death. Do anything, but don't make me wait. This may be more of my sentiment, I don't know, than it is yours, but I hate to wait on anything. I want everything yesterday. Can I get a witness? I hate waiting at the traffic light. I hate waiting in line at the restaurant. I hate to wait on, a, on, on the phone on hold. I hate waiting uh, on somebody to get something done. I, I hate waiting on my wife and daughters to get ready. 
when God tells me to wait, much grace is required. <laughs> this word wait here, uh, perimeno in, in the Greek, it, it's actually the root word for perimeter, and it literally means to stay around. That just seems kind of pointless, doesn't it? Uh, Jesus is just saying, just hang around, guys. Stay in Jerusalem. Don't go anywhere. Now, if I'm thinking like the disciples, if I could put myself in their sandals today, I think I'm thinking, okay, Jesus, you, you've trained us now for three and a half years. You've poured your life into to us. You've been crucified, dead, buried. Now you're alive, standing right in front of us. And we're dying to tell the whole world about you. And you say, just hang around for a while. Dr. Arthur Pearson told the story once of, of being in the study of the great man of faith, George Mueller. If you want to discover some things about prayer and, and personal discipleship, read Mueller's works. Well, he's waiting on Mueller, and um, he's in his office, he's in his studies, and Mueller's Bible is laying there on the table, so he, took the op he takes the opportunity to thumb through it. And he comes to Psalm 37, 23, which reads, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And then he noticed in the margin beside it that Mueller had made this notation, and the stops too. Both the steps and the stops are ordered by the Lord. The, the Lord is the Lord of stopping and going. Uh, he's the Lord of moving and waiting. And the sooner we learn this, the more joy that we're going to have in our life. You know, the bat, not the Batman, just the bat, is said to have one of the longest lifespans based on size of the animal. Bats live to be around 20 years old. Their longevity has been attributed to their ability to go into a almost like hibernation state as they are sleeping. Now the bat, if he's flying, if he's hunting or whatever, he is moving at such, such a rate that his heart beats as high as 180 beats per minute. But when he goes into that hibernation sleep, and it can happen, by the way, in just a matter of moments, if, if he moves from high activity to sleep, goes from 180 beats down to about 3 beats per minute which gives him remarkable recovery and attributes, uh, is an attribute or, or, or attributes to his, his longevity. So, so listen to your pastor this morning. During those waiting seasons of life, you better calm down and you better give in to it because if you don't, it'll keep your heart racing 24-7. It'll make you miserable and, hear me, can even be detrimental to your health. There was a place in this command. Jerusalem. There was a purpose in this command. Wait. Number three, there was a promise in this command. In this particular instance, Jesus lets them know what it is they are waiting for. Verse 4 records Jesus saying, you are waiting for the promise of the Father. Now we know that that promise is not a thing, it's a person. It's the promise of the Spirit of the living God. And I won't say too much about that in this particular message. Uh, Jesus then echoes the familiar words of John the Baptist found in John 1.33 that there would be uh, not only baptism, or there would be baptism of fire, not just 
water baptism. I'm not going to get into the significance of spirit baptism until later in our study of Acts. But bottom line is this. They must stay in Jerusalem and they must wait on this promise. Now somebody might say, well at least they know what they're waiting for and as long as they know what they're waiting for, then it's a piece of cake. Not true. We, all of us, we are waiting for the coming of Christ, right? I am, you are. We are waiting for the coming of Christ, but that doesn't make it any easier because we look around us and we see all the decay and the decadence in our world. Uh, we witness daily evil seeming to, to triumph over good. We see the deterioration of our own body. We see the death of our loved ones. We could give testimony about the ravages of sin in our own life and those in whom we love. We, we look to the skies and we wonder and we ask questions like, how much longer uh, can it continue to go on like this? God, why do you delay? Come now, rescue us from this wretched world. It's not always easy. We're not always fearless and courageous, are we? We're not always filled with hope, even though we know what better we know whom we are waiting for. This morning, you may be waiting for a new job opportunity. You may be waiting for a wayward son or daughter to come home. You may be waiting for a new place of service here in this church or in some ministry. You may be waiting for a spouse to finally start being what your spouse ought to be. You, you may be waiting for a friend or a family member to, to get saved, to come to Christ. Let me just say, you just as well settle down and abide in the place God has called you with the promise of the comfort of the Spirit of the living God. It should be noted that we'll learn in the coming passages that this waiting, however, does not mean that they sat around twiddling their thumbs. They got on their face and they prayed and they sought God. You've got to be at the right place at the right time with the right attitude for the blessings to come. This is, this is going to help somebody today, I really believe. If you'll take this message to heart, it'll help you somewhere along the way in your journey. So there's a place, Jerusalem. There, there's a purpose waiting. There's a promise, the Spirit, and fourthly, the period. Verse 5, he tells them something about the duration of the wait. And this is what he says, For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Here it is, not many days from now. He tells them something about the duration of the wait. I'm a fairly easy, at least I think I am, I'm a fairly easy guy to pattern. I get up at almost the same time every day. I sit at the same spot every morning to read my Bible and pray and have my morning devotions and quiet time and all that. I eat the exact, I'm boring, I'm just going to tell you. I eat the exact same breakfast every single morning and I never get tired of it. I mean, I'm just, I'm just regimented that way, etc. However, at times it almost seems like God never does the same thing twice. Sometimes he gives us specific time frames like in three days, I'll rise again. 
But here in our passage, it's kind of open-ended, not many days from now. And what does that even mean? He also said that he was coming again quickly, and it's been 2,000 years. Up against the backdrop of eternity, it's still just been a couple of days, right? We know that this time span, not many days, actually ends up being 10 days. Now, the disciples didn't know that going in. It could have been 10 years for all they knew. And here's a statement for you. Uh, 10 days to the flesh can seem like a lifetime. When we begin to converse and pray and seek God, about coming to Easton Olive Baptist Church, once we finally arrived at a place where we knew that this was what God wanted us to do, then, then that anxious spirit sets in. And, and, and you're ready. And, and honestly, as I was thinking about this, like I already told you, I don't like to wait. It seemed, days seem like weeks. Weeks seem like months. I mean, that was just our, our frame of mind. You see, a, a command, all right? If you've not had a command in your life that is filled with waiting for some period of life, just hang on because it's coming. It's coming. Now, as part of this, I, I love passages of Scripture like this because it's just a great teaching time for the, for the body of Christ. As a part of this, it may cause you to ask some questions, just like the disciples did so let's look at the question for a moment. Now don't get nervous, but I've got four sub-points under this point too, but it won't take me as long to get through those four as I just took to get through that first four. Based on what Jesus told them, they think they know where he's going next or what he's going to do next. So it colors their question. It influences their question, and here's their question, verse 6. Lord, will you, at this time, restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, I've got the exact same four points under this point that I had under the first one, but just in a different order. So first of all, notice the purpose. Verse 6. The purpose for the question is to find out the plans for the kingdom. It showed that their heart burned for a political theocracy. The Jews were anxious to throw off the yoke of Roman rule, and they are now wondering if the time has come for, for Christ to squash the enemies of Israel and establish his earthly kingdom. So that was the purpose, just, hey, Jesus, we want to know what's going on here. But then there's also a period. They want to know at this time, Jesus, are you going to restore the kingdom at this time? Lord, our heart and mind is on the kingdom, and we want to know right now what your plans are. These disciples lived a lot like you and I live, and that is by the motto of the National Enquirer, and that is inquiring minds want to know. We want to know what God is up to. We want to know what His plans are in infinite 
detail. And if the truth be known, what we really want to do is to get this information so that we can evaluate his plans and make sure that he's doing it right. And if not, we can make suggestions to God as to how he might improve upon his plans. At any given time, there are answers that I would like to have from the Lord. Now, some of them are trivial, mean nothing. Lord, when are we going to get to move into our new home? What's my team going to look like on the field this year? Well, I finally kill a giant buck in Kansas this year. Why does Walmart have 40 cash registers and only open two? I mean, it's just some things I'd really like to know. How about you? And then you maybe move into the more significant. Like, what's, what's our church going to look like in a year to 18 months from now? And then maybe on a personal, familial level, you, you're asking the question, what are, what are the struggles that I, I'm going to have to face or we're going to have to face down the road? And then maybe you're living in a little bit of paranoia and you're wondering, where's the next attack from the enemy going to come from? Just questions. And then there are those questions you may have that are of eternal significance. Much like these disciples, Lord, when are you coming? How much longer will you delay? Is that family member that I've been praying for and witnessing to going to finally give their life to the Lord Jesus? My point is this. We all have questions. The only problem is when we actually feel like God owes us an answer. What do they say? Lord Jesus, we want to know right now. Answer me. Is this what you're going to do right now? Note quickly a third thing. There's a place here as well. Verse 6, it's apparent that they only have one place in mind as they mention uh, Israel specifically, probably even more specifically would be Jerusalem. Jesus had told them to hold up here in Jerusalem. And you remember, he mentions the coming power. He mentions the promise that John talked about. He mentioned uh, the, the coming promise. And perhaps this for them uh, conjures up thoughts of the prophet Joel when he said that one of the ways you're going to know the last days is that God is going to pour out His Spirit over all the earth. And they're thinking maybe then this is about to happen. This must be what God is about to do. Listen to me. Assumption can lead, and by the way, assumption is the lowest form of knowledge. Assumption can lead to disillusionment. It can lead to disappointment. It can lead to discouragement. Never assume on God. This leads right into this last point. There's a promise. He said to them, It is not for you to know, verse 7, times or seasons which the Father has put in His own authority. This is what Jesus essentially says. This is for me to know and not for you to find out. Now, some may find this terribly disturbing. What, Pastor Richard, what would it hurt for us to know some things? First of all, you've got 66 books of Holy Scripture. Study them and you'll be amazed at how much God has revealed about the future. Second, 
If you knew more about the future than what this book already tells us, it would scare you to death and you'd lose heart. And then thirdly and most importantly, he's God and we're not. That should, should, well let me just say, Jesus says, this is not for you to know. Now, when you think, when Jesus says this is not for you to know, end of discussion. Right? End of discussion. That ought to be a lesson for all these eschatological prognosticators. Throwing dates and wild predictions out there is not only just biblically irresponsible, it's sinful. It's not, not, it's not for us to know all things, period. But then Jesus ends up with this. He said it has been placed, look at this phrase, it has been placed in his own authority. Authority is the word exousia, it means jurisdiction. This information is under his jurisdiction. There are things that are simply under God's jurisdiction. Newsflash for all of us. God does not need our help to run the universe. He doesn't need our counsel on establishing the kingdom God is autonomous. But we want to offer advice. But, but Lord, has it ever occurred to you? I've probably said this before, but has it ever occurred to you that nothing's ever occurred to God? He's not just sitting around one day in the portals of glory and he says, well, you know, Richard, you're right. I've never thought about that. I'm so glad you brought that to my attention. Uh, listen to me. Not like a smart aleck kind of way, but God is a know-it-all. He knows it all. And He chooses to give us as much disclosure as we need and can handle. And some things will have to reside in the heart of God forever. And I'm okay with that. Augustine said, let us be content to let God know some things that we cannot know. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says it even better. The secret things belong to the Lord. Now let me get back to this point. I said that it is a promise. You may ask, where's the promise? Oh, it's there. Here's what Jesus is ultimately saying. He's saying, I've got this under control. Don't you worry about the when. Don't you worry about the how. Don't you worry about the where. I've got this. When Abraham Lincoln was assassinated... 50,000 people gathered at the exchange building in New York City. Obviously, there was disillusionment and confusion among them. Passions were running high. The future of the country uh, was, was in the balance. And a stately man stepped to the podium in front of a balcony of a sea of people to address them. It was James A. Garfield, who would also be assassinated as president 16 years later, less than four months into his presidency. But he steps up to the podium, and this is what he said, and I quote, he says, Fellow citizens, clouds and darkness are round about him. His pavilion is dark water and thick clouds of the skies. Justice and judgment are the establishment of his throne. Can you imagine a president of the United States speaking like this? He goes on to say, mercy and truth go before his face. Fellow citizen, God reigns. And the government of Washington, he says, still lives. And it stilled the crowd. As, as they were reminded of the importance of the fact that God is in control. That's the promise of what Jesus is telling these disciples. Brothers and sisters, 
The kingdom of God is not in doubt. It, it will come, but for now, it's not for you to know. It's under His jurisdiction. He's got it all under control. I'm sure there are people in this building today, including your pastor, who really needs this. God is on the throne. Lloyd Douglas was an author and pastor. He lived in the mid-1800s all the way to the mid-1900s, excuse me, late-1800s up to the mid 1900s and he was a popular Christian writer and he told how he liked to visit an old man who gave violin lessons so this pastor dropped by to visit with this man and this was the question he asked him he says what's the good news for today uh, this pastor had grown quite fond of this man because he had a kind of refreshing down-to-earth wisdom about him so he says what's the good news for the day so he gets up he had a tuning fork that was suspended by a cord he walked over and he struck that tuning fork and he says you know what that is he says that is the musical note a and he said it's an a today it'll be an a tomorrow and a thousand years from now it'll still be an a so his point was this and he says that's the good news for today his point of course was that some things never change listen to this preacher god was god yesterday God is God today, and a thousand years from now, when we're dead and ground, gone and our bodies are but dust in the ground, God will still be God. This whole thing is under His jurisdiction. He's got it under control. Don't worry and fret over answers you do not have. Rest in this unchanging truth, our God reigns he reigns I want you to bow with me for, for a moment as much as I wanted to get to verse 8 there was too much truth in verses 4 through 7 to take them lightly I'm not a prophet I can't see the future I can't see your hearts I can't read into your minds but I'm willing to step out on a limb this morning and say there are multiple people here in this building that needed this message it seems so often that this, this world, it's like God just wound it up and let it go and almost like a deist kind of mindset. We, we think God, God just stepped back and it's just sort of spinning out of control. No. The book of Colossians says, in him all things consist. That is, all things hold together. God reigns. He rules. You may not have every answer to every question that you have. In fact, I, you don't. I don't either. We don't know what the coming days hold. We don't even know what this afternoon is going to look like. But we can know for sure that our God reigns. And there's just some things that we ought not know. God says it here in his word. That was his response to the disciples. Jesus' response to the disciples. We've got, to, we've got to be at peace with that. But one thing we know for sure is that God's kingdom stands. We're a part of it. If we've trusted Christ, it's not in doubt. He reigns. Maybe that just speaks right to your heart and life this morning. Maybe there's a lot of chaos and confusion going on right now in your life. Maybe there's a lot of loose ends that you'd like to have tied up. A lot of questions you'd like to have answered. I'm not making any promises today that you're going to get those answers, but I, I'm giving you this truth. God reigns. And you've got to let that truth permeate 
your life and your heart and the fabric of your being in such a way that all the loose ends, unanswered questions, chaos in your life begins to fade in the background and the primacy of Christ is exalted and you're at peace in Him no matter what kind of storms rage around you. We use these steps right down here in the front of the stage. It's like an altar to us. You come and do business with the Lord this morning. You come and pray and seek His face. Sometimes that waiting, again, it's not passivity, it's activity. It's seeking the face of God. Now, if you don't know Christ, you're not born again, you've never surrendered your life to Him, today would be a great day to do that. Because everything that I've just said takes on a different connotation when you don't know Christ. God's in control for sure. He's in control of judgment and the end times as well. And that's a, that's a judgment that you're going to face. And apart from Christ, it's a hopeless endeavor. It's a hopeless engagement. Would you give your life to Jesus today as so many have here in our church in the past few weeks? Would you come? I'm going to be waiting down front. There'll be others. Would you just come let us know, you know, Pastor, I need to be saved. I've known for a long time Jesus needs to be my Lord, and I've put it off and procrastinated, but today's the day. I'm, I'm ready to take that step of faith. I'm, I'm prepared to surrender my life in full, repent of my sin, and follow Jesus with all my heart and life. Would you do that today? We always encourage you, of course, to be a part of a local body, a local church. We'd love for East Nolly to be that church. We encourage you to come as well. Father, I'm so grateful that you reign, you rule my life, this church, our country, this world, this planet, this universe is under your jurisdiction. I can rest easy because of that. May all find their peace in you today. In Jesus' name, stand to Thanks for listening to the Easton Ollie Baptist Church Podcast. Be sure to go to our website, EastonOlly.Church, to find more messages like you just heard and to find out how to be more involved at Easton Ollie. If at any point during this message you made a decision to follow Jesus or you would just like more information about Easton Ollie, email info at EastonOlly.Church. God bless and have a great week.